Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and uh, verse 13 through 16 is where we begin in the New Living Translation. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. I want to talk today about when Jesus keeps you from recognizing him. When Jesus keeps you from recognizing him. Now, Jesus was very intentional in what he was doing here, and I just want to walk with you in the story in the book here today. He comes to walk not over the people, not under the people, but he comes to walk among the people. You see, the word understand, say understand. Understand Understand does not mean to stand under. Understand means to stand among. You don't understand people until you stand among them and hear their conversations. They're uncensored conversations. So when you really come into an understanding of people, it it is because you stand where they are. You stand among them. You, You understand their position. You come out of the ivory tower and you see what it feels like to stand on your feet for eight hours a day. You stand among them. That's how you understand. You don't understand what it, what it takes uh, for a mother to be able to handle children until you have to babysit one day. And you, you see how unrelenting children are, how unmerciful they are until you stand where they stand, until you see how many times they call the name mama. Without any regard to how you feel, you, you have to stand among them, stand in the place where they are. Jesus is now coming and standing where the people are. Uh, I, I love something that uh, Lao Tzu said. He said, to lead people, walk behind them. Walk behind them. When you walk behind people, you learn a view of them that you never get to see if you're in front of them. And now Jesus comes incognito to disciples of his who are discouraged because of the events of the day. Jesus has just been crucified. And it is now the third day and these disciples of Jesus are walking on the road to Emmaus seven miles away. They are leaving Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the spiritual capital. It is their place of spiritual enlightenment their place of spiritual empowerment and they are leaving that place and going to Emmaus and they are discouraged. They have lost their faith. They are saying, I thought this was the one who would redeem the Jews. I thought that this was the one. This is, let me just help you in in modern day times because you wonder how in the world could these followers of Jesus be discouraged when they had walked with Jesus. And here now they are walking with Jesus and 
we do the same thing in our day and time because we were praying for something and it didn't come when we thought it or how we thought it. And so now we are discouraged because the marriage fell apart. Because the business failed. Because the person that we prayed for healing didn't get their healing. They died. And we're on our road to Emmaus walking away discouraged, in despair, bewildered, sort of angry. It's, it's a journey where they have lost their faith because what they were expecting didn't happen. So what do you do when you're walking with God and the faith that you had in God of what God was going to do in your life and he didn't do it? And you're getting older and it didn't happen for you. What do you do when the things that you prayed about and the things that you've dreamed about and they haven't happened by a certain time and now you feel like, I blew that. Well, I guess, guess the promises of God is not true. They had walked with Jesus and now they are discouraged because they are hearing, they're saying all kinds of things and Jesus just wanted to locate the people just to see where they were. So he comes incognito among them and God kept them from recognizing him. And let me say this, because the test of leadership is what happens after you leave the room. The real test of leadership happens after you leave the room. Uh, You don't know how people really feel about you until you are able to hear what they are saying when you are not present. Because Jesus wanted to hear their honest thoughts. He really wanted to know what, how they really felt. Because people treat you differently according to your status, according to your notoriety, according to your financial status. You'd be surprised. You know, when you, when you broke, folk, they don't respect broke folks. You can be right. You can be brilliant. They don't even give you the time of day. Man, man, sit down, shut up, and get out of my way. And then you can have money and spewing out the most stupid ideas. You will be surprised, but you don't really know how people feel about you. And let me just tell you this. Even if you do have money and spewing out stupid ideas, you know, you're like that dude rich, but you know that dude crazy. When you're not around, oh, they're oh, they going to talk about you. Oh, they are going to talk about you. And you don't really get the real skinny on how they feel unless you have the ability to go incognito the way that Jesus did right here. Jesus wanted to hear their authentic thoughts. So he comes among them in disguise so they can't even see him because people are only as loyal to you as they are in your absence. That's the way that, you know, they're only as loyal to you as they are in your absence. That's why sometimes as long as people are alive, things are all right the minute that they die. You don't know whether people are loyal to you until they, you see how they honor your wishes when you die. And when you're gone and they start disrespecting people that you love, you'd be surprised. I've seen chaos break out in families, in businesses, in things where there are inheritances. And when somebody dies, my goodness, it all breaks in now. Oh, now the real feelings come out. You can't measure loyalty by how people treat you when you're there. Loyalty is measured by how you honor them in, 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 the, in the absence. So wouldn't you just love to know how people really feel about you when you're not around? To know who's your real friend? How they really think about you? 
Because people are not always who you think they are. Uh, some people need you. Some people heed you. Uh, there are some people who leave you. There are some people who grieve you. There are some people who feed you. And there are some people who please you. Now, the only reason that I'm telling you this is so that you can distinguish the difference and invest accordingly. Distinguish the difference and invest accordingly. You see, Jesus didn't want these disciples of his to give him a politically correct response. He didn't want to hear the response of how they would respond to him, referring to him as rabbi or master. Jesus wanted their true feelings, their authentic thoughts. So Jesus disguised himself in the ordinary. He now comes like an ordinary person and they don't even recognize him. And he's among them to really be able to hear what's really going on in their hearts. And this is why I want to encourage you to make kindness and hospitality a habit because you never know who you're dealing with. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says this, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. You don't ever know who's an angel in disguise. Coming, looking like an ordinary person, you never know when you are entertaining an angel of God. You never know. Treat people kindly. They may come in rags. They may come looking like a wino. You don't ever know. That's why you have to treat everybody with kindness. You have to treat people with kindness. And here now, these disciples of Jesus are walking because their expectations had not been met. The Jews, including Jesus' disciples, they were expecting Jesus to be a political savior, to be able to restore the Jewish people to their land because here now while they were in Jerusalem, they saw Jesus killed. They saw a consecrated place become desecrated. And now they think that they are walking away from God. They think that they are walking away from their faith. They are discouraged and they are now talking about their despair, that I thought that this was the one. I thought that this was the one. But he's dead now. It's three days past. They've heard no news that he has risen from the dead. They said, I thought this was the one. They saw him crucified. They heard the news and they're just discouraged, very authentic in their thoughts. In despair, I mean, they, these folks had given their, their lives to following Jesus for the past three years, and now he's all of a sudden crucified, and, and they feel like this whole movement, the miracles that they've witnessed, it's all over now. It's all gone, and they, they're in despair. We thought that we had something. We thought we were about to see nationalistic change. We thought that our economic situation was getting ready to shift. And then they were in for this rude awakening, and they're in despair. That their hope has been affected because they had hoped that this was the one. What do you do when you feel like this is going to be the golden child? Oh, my baby, oh, he's going to play football. Oh, he's going to play basketball. Oh. 
What do you do? And they get so close and then they get injured. What do you do when the golden ticket is revoked? What do you do when the, you, the, the very one that you thought was going to make the family proud gets strung out, comes under voodoo? What do you do when you hope that this was the one? Oh, that's my good child there. And something bad happens to your good child. What do you do? This is the way that these disciples were feeling. And it can affect you when what you are believing for doesn't come to pass. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says this in the New Living Translation, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. I like the way that reads in the message version of the scriptures. Notice that in the message uh, version, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, but a sudden good break can turn life around. I'm just telling you, we're in a seasons of suddenlies. Suddenly, 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 Jesus came and turned that thing around. He was walking with them in that discouragement. Here's a question that I want to ask you. What do you do when you feel that disappointed by God himself? When you feel disappointed by God himself, it's one thing for human beings to disappoint you, but what do you do when you feel that God has disappointed you? You prayed and God didn't answer the prayer. Let me just remind you of this that sometimes God's greatest gift to you is an unanswered prayer. Because sometimes you don't even know what you are asking for. You'll be in school and all in love with this man and all in love with this woman, and you're like, oh, oh, Jesus, please, please. And then you see them some other years down the road all jacked up. I'm just telling you, there are some things, there are some things you better thank God that God didn't give you everything that you asked for 20 years ago. You give it time, and time will give you clarity about some stuff. You thought you wanted that. I'm just telling you, sometimes God's greatest gift to you is an unanswered prayer. God's greatest gift to you is an unanswered prayer. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And what you're asking for is going to harm you down the road. And I can see it now. And God says, I'm not going to give this to you because I love you too much to send a fool like that into your life. What do you do when you feel disappointed by God himself? Do you know that human beings, we are the only species on the planet that have become conditioned to doubt the blessing of God's ability to have us to survive? We're the only species on the planet that doubts God's grace in allowing us to be able to survive. Plants grow and they never live in fear that God is going to send the nutrients to be able to allow their life to be able to survive. Uh, You can find that despite some of the most dangerous conditions, animals can still thrive in the wild. I've seen wild dogs, and you wonder, oh, well, if nobody goes out and feeds the dog, the dogs are going to die. No, they're not. (laughs) And they don't worry about it. They're going to find something. I've seen stray dogs, wild dogs. They may not be well-groomed, but they're still here. They're not worried about it. They don't have an issue rummaging around in trash. They're going to find a way. And and, and you will never find, I'm I'm just telling you, human beings, we are the only species on the planet that has a tendency to mealy mouth about having to get up early in the morning, 
I, I, I five something this morning. I heard the birds. I did. It's still dark. You don't, you're not going to find a bird talking about dog. And shoot, it's time to get up already. Shoot, look like I just laid down. No, no, no. Birds, just, it's still dark. They don't, it's in their nature. But here you find pessimistic human beings. I mean, I rise up in the morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. In it I shall rejoice and be exceedingly glad. I say that on the inside every day. And then you find some people. So I'm like, good morning, God. And other people, good God, morning. It's amazing. We're the only species on the planet that has this uncanny ability to doubt God's existence, his ability to be able to sustain us. The plants don't, they don't, they don't worry about that. The birds don't worry about that kind of stuff. The, the sea creatures don't worry about that stuff. God put it in their nature, trust me. And you are never going to see a sea lion on Valium. You're never going to find a crow who's got a personality disorder, stressed out, worried about whether they're going to be worms. They don't stress out about that. It's in their nature that God's got me. God's got me. I may not see it right now, but God's got me. And now here these disciples of Jesus on the road to Emmaus are walking away, and they're like, man, you know, didn't, didn't you think that Jesus... And you, I, man, I thought something special about this dude. Man, he died with them other thieves up there. I didn't think anybody could ever kill him. You know, they, they thought when Jesus walked with them doing miracles, he's raising the dead himself, and now he's dead? What do you do, my God, when the miracle worker dies? What do you do when the healer gets sick? What do you do? And this is where they were, and now they're saying, man, I, I thought that he was special. He was bigger than life to me, and now he is dead. And they get this news, and their lives are devastated. And Jesus is walking among them, and they don't even know it. But let me just tell you this. Vulnerability attracts the presence of God. Vulnerability attracts the presence of God. When you're vulnerable, when you're just crying out, even in your honesty, saying, God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm afraid. When you are vulnerable before God, it attracts God's presence. Just be vulnerable with him. It attracts the presence of God. Because it takes a real true friend to walk into your life when you are discouraged and depressed. I mean, regular friends, if they know you're depressed, they don't want to call you. Because it's like, I can't deal with her today. She, it takes too much energy to talk to her when she's down. I just, I can't deal. Folks... I mean, even your good friends don't want to deal with you when you're all stressed out and depressed. They don't want to deal with you. They're they're waiting until you get all right. They don't even want to ask you how you're doing. They avoid you like the plague. It, It takes a real special person to come into your house when your house is on fire. And their house is on fire. Their faith is burning down. And Jesus comes. He's not running away from the fire. He's running to the fire. He's coming to the fire. He's walking with the boys, discouraged, saying, I don't know what I'm going to do now. My husband is dead. I may as well die too. Oh, God, I'm, I ain't going to never be right again. 
I ain't gonna never be happy. Henry is gone now, Jesus. <laughs> and we wonder, God, will I ever heal from this? Jesus just comes right among them in the midst of their doubt. In the midst of their vulnerability, he wants us to be vulnerable. It attracts him because God loves honesty. God loves brokenness. And and, and you know why? Because when you're hurting, if you hurt your arm, the blood runs there. That's where the blood goes. The blood goes where the wound is. The blood goes where the offense is. The blood goes where the injury is. That's where the blood goes. If you really want to summon the blood, get hurt. The blood rushes to the place. If you get shot, that's where the blood goes. I'm just telling you, he doesn't run away from you you in your pain. God doesn't run away from you in your frustration and in your confusion, in your perplexity. He doesn't run away from you. God runs to you in times like that. He runs to you. He runs to you. And see, God can't help us until we get honest about who we are and where we are. And that's why Jesus chose to be incognito here. Because you see, when your defenses are down, when you are vulnerable, it's so easy for God to come in. One of the greatest opportunities to be able to witness to people and share the love of Jesus Christ is at a time of crisis in their life. Because their guards are down. They are open, and that's where the blood rushes. That's where the blood rushes because there is a genuine need. And you have to think about it like this. Every need is an invitation. Every need is an invitation. Every need is an opportunity. Every need is a door. Every need is a connection. You really want to connect with people, find a need and meet it. It's a door. It is an opportunity. It is an invitation. Find a need. If there's sickness, if there are health issues, if there are financial issues, every need is a door. It is an invitation. It is an opportunity. It is a connection. And so Jesus is walking with them on their journey. And and listen, Jerusalem is a place of spiritual empowerment. That's their spiritual place. And they're walking away from their faith saying, I thought that we had something. Jesus chooses to come and walk with them while they're walking away from him. That's how committed God is to you. Then he will respect your freedom of will to allow you to think that you got an attitude with him and that you're going to walk away from God and not even let God be involved in your life and you think you're walking off from him and God says, if you're going, I'm going with you. And we don't even have sense enough to know that when we are upset with God, angry with him because things didn't work out according to the way that we prayed and so we got an attitude with him and we're going to show him now. We feel that because now we, we, we got upset with him, we stopped praying. Prayerlessness is a form of hiding. I want you to hear me by the Spirit of God today. Prayerlessness is a form of hiding. You get upset with God, you stop praying. You stop praying. You stop reading the Word. You're you're calling yourself walking away from God. And there are people today that are watching that are on their road to Emmaus trying to get away from God. And Jesus comes incognito. You don't recognize him, but he's with you. When he said, Lord, I'm with you now, even until the end of the world, he means even when you got an attitude, boo. 
He said, I'm with you even when your heart is broken, when you're crushed, and when you don't feel like you could ever recover, when you don't want anything else to do with me. God says, I'm with you. You'll be walking with him, mumbling, grumbling, said, you know, shoot, I prayed, and I was confessing the word, and I was paying my tithes and everything, and I still lost my car. I still, my house was still foreclosed on. I still, I was praying, I believe I gave a special, special miracle offering, and my marriage still fell apart. And while you're all upset, you're vulnerable, you're just sharing and you're walking away and you say, you know what, you know what, it ain't, it's so-and-so, she ain't even saving us. She got a new car. She still got a husband and everything. Shoot, I'm, I'm going to do what she's doing. 